Welcome to the A Very Full Plate podcast, where we're all about food, wellness, and parenting in the real world. If you have a very full plate but still want to live the healthiest life possible, you've come to the right place. Every week, Amy and Emily are breaking down different strategies for raising a healthy family, often with the help of awesome guest experts. Want to hear more from Amy, our resident natural foods chef? You can find her at Cooking with a Full Plate. Want to hear more from Emily, our expert personal organizer? Find her at Hall Harmony Homes. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to A Very Full Plate. It is episode 50, and it's me, Emily, and Amy. We're joining together again today. Last week, we talked all about mental um, clutter and the health benefits of minimizing clutter in your home physically. Now, today, we're going to narrow in on the kitchen with the expertise of Amy, my co-host, who is a kitchen ninja. And I'm really excited to look at, look specifically into what essential kitchen equipment we need and what we really don't need. And so today I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I actually don't know the answers to this, Amy. So thank you for bringing this value and thank you for coming on and being the expert on it. And I'm going to be stealing a lot of these tips. I'm just going to tell you right now. Well, everyone's welcome to steal them. This is something <laughs> I thought a lot about. And it's so funny because I think that folks know the work that I do, which is all based around the kitchen and think, wow, she must really have all the kitchen equipment. And the funny thing is, is that while I have fairly generous storage space in my kitchen, I still am really selective about what I allow into my kitchen space. So this is something I've thought a lot about and something I've shared a lot about with other folks. And I'll just tell you from the get-go, I'm going to put together a checklist in case you're mm. feeling like, oh my goodness, I have acquired so many things that I think are going to be useful that I really don't need. Um, that checklist, if you go to a veryfullplate.com slash 50, you can download it and use it as your guide to go through your kitchen. And of course, before we dive into the specifics, I just want to give the caveat that I am all about this idea of does this spark joy overlaid? And we talked about this last week in episode 49 overlaid with the idea of, is it useful? Right? So the things we should be keeping lie somewhere in the intersection between those things. So I'm going to talk a lot about the useful side, but there, if there is something that just really just makes you so happy, then undoubtedly you should keep it, whether it's on my checklist or not, because that's where your like personal perspective comes in. I think what most folks will find is that they have a lot of things in their kitchen in the name of needing them, and they probably don't even like them, and they often don't even use them, and they're keeping them because they once got them. And I also, just like Emily gave us all permission to start getting rid of some of the th things in our house that don't serve us, I want to give you permission from the get-go to like get rid of those old pans that are falling apart or that you just really don't like or don't work the way that you want them to or that you have multiple duplicates of. And I'll talk more about that in a minute, but this is my overarching statement of, if there is something that is really not useful, it doesn't get used very often, and it doesn't make you happy, then get that out of there. Someone else can use it. Give it to Goodwill and give it a new home where it can find usefulness. Absolutely. You know me. That's my favorite thing on earth is rehoming. So I want to go right into the pots and pans. So I feel like all I do is clang around my pots and pans. So I'm very much looking forward to you shedding some light on what pans do we actually need and why do we need them? And um, 
why could we let go of others? So tell us about pots and pans, Amy. Pots and pans are one of the really interesting things because I think so many of us feel like we need a pot and pan for every possible occasion. And maybe we need two of the same size for every possible thing. And I admittedly got a really nice set of pots and pans for my wedding. And because I love them so much, it has really inspired me to think more about how I don't need any more pots and pans because I only want those really nice ones and I'm not willing to shell out the cash that it would cost to get them. So I'll tell Mm. you about my pots and pans. I do have a set of all clad. You don't need to buy a set of all clad. I will include a link in the show notes to Wirecutter who rates different pots and pans, but here's what you do need. I would encourage you highly if you're buying a set of pans to get a set of stainless steel ones. For your money, stainless steel is going to be the most versatile in that it can go over high heat on the stove, it can go into your oven, it can go under the broiler, and bonus, it looks pretty nice on the uh, kitchen table or the dining table when you serve in it. So I think for buying a set, stainless steel is where it's at. I will link to a set that I like, but I look for like a small saucepan. Think of this as something that you might um, like heat up milk in, right? So like pretty much on the small side. Then a medium one that would be comfortable for say hard boiling six eggs or even a dozen eggs. So putting enough water for that. And then a really large one that's going to be your soup pot or chili or like cooking a big batch of pasta or something like that. And then I have a small saute pan and then I have a larger saute pan And then I have a really large, like high-sided skillet. And again, I'll include all of this in the show notes at averyfullplate.com slash 50. So you can see exactly what I'm talking about. The reason I have all of these, and you could actually even go less than that. But the reason I have all of these is that they all have a different purpose in my kitchen. So all of those pots I described, like the small one through the large one, those get used almost on a daily basis. And those I find are the only things that I need. For the skillets, I could probably even have less. Like I don't need as many different sizes of saute pans, but I like them for like, if I'm going to cook up something really little for the kids, then the small one's really nice. The medium one is most used. And then the large skillet is really good for say doing like a, um, I'm trying to think. I do like a brown rice taco skillet and it holds a lot of things and it, the high sides keep everything inside. And you want to make sure you have lids for most of those things. So that's the benefit of a set. I like metal lids. Other folks like glass lids because they like to see what's inside. Whatever it is, is what it is. But pots and pans are exactly like Tupperware, which we won't touch on today because it's its own beast. But they're exactly like Tupperware. If you don't have a, a pot that goes with the lids that you have, then get rid of the lid. It's just mm. confusing you. And a lot of these sets, the same lid will fit on multiple pots and pans. And I really like that because storing lids is annoying. Maybe you have a trick for storing lids. Actually, I was going to get into that at the end of your pots and pans segment, but I wasn't even going to nationally. Well, this this is the end of where I'm talking about pots and pans that have lids. So why don't you tell us your trick or something that you feel about lids? Personally, I prefer a hanging situation, but I know that that's not always gorgeous or possible. Um, and then the lids kind of store underneath, mm. but I, I totally grapple with the lid problem. And for me, it ends up just being exactly what you're doing right now, which is paring your stuff down and yeah. just, you're just kind of managing the beast. And I was going to ask you actually, if you had any tips about storing pads and pans, because I have my logic, but then I'm thinking, well, someone who's in the kitchen all the time might have I'm thinking even better, you know. 
So it may have been hard to follow along, but I basically have three pots and three pans besides the Mm -hmm. other two I'm going to tell you about in a minute. So it's not that much to store. All three of the pans fit inside of each other in most sets. So I store those just on top of each other. Also bonus for not having them be nonstick is you don't have to worry about them scratching each other, which is a concern. Mm -hmm if they are nonstick and they're rubbing against each other. And then I just kind of like layer the top lids on top of those. Okay. My pots, I have the benefit of having plenty of storage under my stove, but all that's under there is my three pots and the three lids that go with them. It's actually Mm -hmm. kind of sparse. And I like that because then it's easy to get them out. I think you need to make it easy and that's the most important thing. Exactly. Because you're, you don't need to wrestle with your stuff in the morning. And it's your most used kitchen equipment, presumably. It's my most used kitchen equipment. So I like to keep it really easy to get out and not be like unlayering 12 things every time I go to make something. And quite frankly, I I pretty much store our one on the on the stove. Like I wash it and I just put it back there. Like we're gonna use it for breakfast, we're gonna use it for lunch, we're gonna use it for dinner. So Here it lies. <laughs> this is the perfect segue to cast iron, which is the only one that lives on my stove. So okay. I have a very large cast iron pan. Mine is a 12 inch from Lodge Logic. It is not very expensive at all. I'll include a link in the show notes for that as well. Uh, if you don't like the weight of cast iron, it can get pretty heavy. And the 12 inch one definitely requires both hands. If that's not for you, then a 10-inch one will do almost everything that you need. And I think is actually even a little bit more versatile, especially if you aren't using it all the time. Mm. The question I get asked constantly is, how do I wash a cast iron pan? We actually got that question from one of our commenters. I will also include a link to something called a chain mail. It's specifically for washing cast iron and... I am going to put a post up this week about taking care of your cast iron pan because I have ruined more cast iron pans than most people own. And a very brief search of the internet will tell you that you can do crazy things to reclaim your cast iron, things that I don't have the time, energy, or inclination to do for a $30 pan. Mm. So sometimes it's best to start over, but I do want to empower folks to take care of the next one that they get. Like, Some are just too far gone. Give those to Goodwill and someone with more time, energy, and inclination than you can fix it. That's the awesome thing about cast iron. And once you start anew, I will help you to figure out how you can take care of it. There are two keys. Get a chain mail because that's like a gentle way to clean it without ruining the coating on it or Mm. the um, seasoning is what it's called. So it's a gentle way to clean it that gets it clean without using soap and water. You really don't want to use soap on cast iron. The second thing is to clean it right after you use it. And the third thing is to dry it over the heat of your stove instead of trying to dry it by hand. That's the most surefire way to get it dry so that it doesn't rust. And I'll put my post, but that's, those are the basics. Clean it right away, the chain mail, dry it over heat. So you need one really good cast iron. I think you only need one. That's all I have. Yeah. Maybe you're a cast iron aficionado. Again, if that brings you joy, do it, but you don't need to have a cast iron collection on top of your stainless steel one. And then I have one small green nonstick pan. Now I will give you the caveat that I have been reading some stuff that some of the green ones maybe aren't even as safe as we would like as compared to Teflon. I'm not going to get that 
I'm not going to get into that here today because I haven't done all of the research, but just to tell you, you may want to look into the green pans that you're checking on. But the reason I have one green nonstick is because I haven't found any substitute for especially like scrambling eggs for the kids that works as well as having something with a little bit of that nonstick coating. I know some folks use like a ceramic coated pan. I have one of the, I think it's a scan pan, which has like a green nonstick surface. Two things to consider. One, we choose not to use Teflon in our house because of some of the concerns around it. That said, if Teflon is for you, then Teflon's for you. Hang with it. I just don't think that nonstick pans are as versatile. So I don't like cooking with them as often. They're not as easy to put in the oven. You can't scrape them with metal. Um, It'll undo their finish, all those kinds of things. So that's why I lean more towards stainless steel and then just have the one nonstick. And I use that for the really specific things that it's hard to get to not stick if it doesn't have that own coating Mm. that it has. Totally agree with that. That's what we do in our house. Have you ever seen Meet the Fockers? (laughs) I've seen it, but I don't remember anything about nonstick fans. So at one point, he brings them to his like hippie parents' house and the father's, what's his face? Uh, Rain Man, what's that guy's name? Um, Oh my God, I'm blanking. Anyway, he go, he's like, my secret is I've never cleaned the pan or something. He's been watching. Like, and I was like, oh, it's probably not too far. There, there are some books. Uh, I can't think of the books right now. I used to read them all the time. They're mystery books. And there's this one character who's obsessed with his cast iron. And he only cleans it with salt and a towel at the end right. of every meal. And that's, that's actually one of the recommended approaches. I just, I just like to use water. And the chain mail works kind of like the salt without like rubbing salt everywhere. Oh, so recap, a stainless yeah. steel set of pans, one good cast iron and one good green nonstick pan or whatever nonstick pan for things like scrambling eggs is where it's at in my book. Awesome. So let's segue because I have questions about your next um, topic that has to do with washing. So um, we're going to talk next about the bare minimum for chopping, slicing, and dicing, which is the ninja part right, <laughs> of the kitchen. And why don't you dive right into that, starting with the cutting board, if you don't mind. Yeah. So chopping, slicing, and dicing are unavoidable in the kitchen. I don't care if you buy chopped broccoli florets or, you know, your cauliflower is already rice. These are things you're going to have to do if you're cooking food in your kitchen. Presumably you are since you're listening to this show. So um, in terms of cutting boards, I have tried lots of different ones. My favorite is the Epicurean cutting board. I'll include a link to that also. And the reason I like it is this. They make a really big one, which I like to have plenty of space to chop things on my cutting board. They make, they also have these like silicone little corners that keep it from slipping all around, which I think is a total time waster to be fighting with your cutting board that's sliding away from you on your countertop. And they go in the dishwasher. This for me is like the holy grail. So I have two of these large cutting boards that I put in the dishwasher. One goes in the dishwasher every night and then the next one's ready for me to use. So I like have them to switch out. And then I have one, I have one marble, but you could have one, whatever, plastic, some other thing that you use for raw meat. I just like to have a Mm -hmm. separate cutting board, even though this one's going in the dishwasher because it feels like the right thing to do. And it feels like I can sanitize it a little bit more. Um, I get questions around like bamboo cutting boards or wood cutting boards or plastic cutting boards or those kinds of things. The reason I don't use a plastic cutting board or 
even I've heard a bamboo cutting board on a regular basis is because they're really tough on your knives. They dull them more quickly. And most of us aren't sharpening our knives as much as we should. So I like to just be gentle on them so that I don't have as many negative results when I don't get to the knife sharpener very often, AKA every few years. Yeah, absolutely. Which brings me to knives. Yes. Um, So I am very utilitarian in my kitchen knife selection. In fact, I've gotten in trouble from a couple of friends for recommending a too cheap knife. I'm using quotation marks when someone wanted to gift their spouse a knife, which I just think is so funny, but it is my favorite knife is the Victorinox Fibrox. It's like $40 on Amazon. It's a 10 inch chef's knife. I think it works for almost everyone. It stays sharp for a long time. And it's not so delicate that you have to worry about like cutting a butternut squash with it or some of the harder things. I love a great knife. Like I love the delicate Japanese knives and people are so into like shun is really beautiful and all of these things. That's all true. But most of us who are not Japanese sushi chefs, myself included, are too rough on our knives to like take care of them long term. Sure. Like that. Now you could have that for really delicate stuff and then have something that's a little bit more utilitarian. And that's kind of what I do is I have the Victorinox and then I have a nicer Japanese knife, but I honestly almost never use it. So this is my permission to you to say, get a knife that really works for your lifestyle instead of picking the knife that the latest celebrity chef has recommended. I can assure you, you and I, we are not taking care of our knives the way that they do. Oh God, no. (laughs) So I would recommend at least one 10 inch chef's knife or whatever you feel comfortable holding. Then I like to have like a small um, paring knife something that I can just do like tiny cutting with. And then everyone needs a serrated knife because you really can't cut bread without one. Mm -hmm. So those are the three knives you have to have. Anything other than that is really an accessory. And maybe Mm -hmm. you bone fish a lot or fillet your own meat, in which case you're going to need a knife for those things. But I find for like 95% of us, it's really not necessary and is an easy way to pare down your kitchen and really take care of the things that you do have and then mm. give up space for, with the things that you don't. I like, I, you know, you're speaking my language. I'm like, tell me more. <laughs> tell me more about simplifying. I just love every minute of it. I told you um, it's so funny because I think people come into my kitchen and they think I'm going to have all these fancy things, but I'm really utilitarian. Like I'm a busy mom who's cooking with kids around and I just need to get dinner on the table and yeah. I've done enough of this work to know what I need to do that. Um, yeah. And I'm sure you've noticed, you've totally picked up on your habits of which knives you use the most and which yes. are just sitting, sitting there most of the time. Yes. And I, I still keep those because I like I have an affinity towards them and they remind me of something in most cases, but for most people, it's an easy place to get rid of some things. Um, the other thing I will say is the best way to store your knife from what I've learned is in one of those magnetic blocks on the wall. Um, the wooden blocks are really hard on your knives and if they're moist at all and then they go into the knife block, it's just not great for them. There's like swelling of the wood in your knife and all of those things. So like the air on the wall and I think it's a really nice way to use space in your kitchen. Um, you don't want to throw them in a drawer. You don't want to put them in the dishwasher. All of those things are death sentence for your knives, even if you only buy the $40 one. So yeah, pretty much killing my knives then. Yeah. <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> yeah. You know, the cool thing is, is like you don't need to have really nice stuff, but even if it's not really nice stuff, it works way better if you take good care of it. And honestly, my knives, I'm trying to think my knives and a couple of like vacuum thermoses 
that I have, like vacuum travel mugs, are almost the only thing that I don't put in the dishwasher. So mm-hmm. if if I'm telling you not to do it, then you know it's for real because yeah. everything in my house goes in the dishwasher. Even my pots and pans, even my stainless steel pots and pans go in the dishwasher. Really? No, I hate washing things by hand. So I just thought I have hand. It's better for the environment. It uses less water. FYI. That's true. And you know what? You've given me so much homework that I'm like all excited to run down to my kitchen later <laughs> and be like, oh my God, I need to scrub my pots and pans. And I have so many goals I'm taking from this. Um, you did remind me of one thing is the one thing about stainless steel pots and pans is you do have to use a little bit more oil than you might be used to. And if you get things burnt to the bottom, one of the things that I really like to use is barkeeper's friend. I have burnt Mm. the Jesus. Jesus. Sure. Out of not what I was thinking, but yes, um, out of the bottom of those pans in cooking various things over the years and time elbow grease and barkeeper's friend have kept them looking, looking like pretty fantastic over the years. More importantly, really usable. I actually don't care how they look, but they're very usable. Yeah. I I use those like stainless steel things to scrub them and I haven't done it in years. And when I did it the last time, I'm like, we have new pots and pans. It's amazing, (laughs) isn't it? Yes. A couple of other things that you need for chopping, slicing, slicing, and dicing are um, you're going to want a vegetable peeler. There's kind of nothing that substitutes for that. I don't use it often, but when I do, I'm glad that I have it instead of trying to use a knife for that. Some people Mm. are skilled enough with a paring knife to use that, but don't mess with it. It's hard enough as it is. I really love my microplane. I use it all the time. I recommend the microplane brand zester. And again, I'll link to that at a very full plate.com slash 50. The cool thing about it is it stays so sharp. It's great for like Parmesan cheese or the zest of a lemon or any of those things. And it gives you uh, ginger. I'll even run garlic over it sometimes to get like really small pieces of garlic. And it, um, it's easy to wash. And I haven't found any other grater that gives you that like really fine grate, especially for something like a lemon peel where you don't want to be getting all that like white stuff that gets kind of bitter. Yeah, absolutely. You don't, you also don't want to like chip your nails off while you're trying to get it with a grater. <laughs> I have grated my knuckles so many times. It's yeah, like, I have too. It's a problem. <laughs> Graters and peelers, not good for kids. I know that the theme <laughs> kind of... Uh, innocuous, but I have heard horror stories. I haven't done them because I've done enough damage to myself to know that I shouldn't give them to my kids. But just a heads up, parents, yes, that you don't want to give those to your kids. And then the final thing in this section is kitchen shears. You want a good pair of kitchen shears. I love the OXO ones. And this is what I look for in kitchen shears. One, that they're sharp, which is kind of obvious. Two, that they are pretty heavy duty. And three, that they come apart so that like each side splits apart because it makes them really easy to put in the dishwasher and make sure they're getting clean all the way through instead of staying stuck together. Mm, Yeah. Because they get all gunky in the middle. Yes. Yeah. You know what? Just a quick thing I want to talk about is that I... um. I do have like kids knives in my house and it goes over really well with us. They're like, I don't know whatever that brand is. It's probably like the number one hit on Amazon. It's just three sets of knives. They're, they're like plastic. They look yes. serrated, but they, they work really well and they don't hurt them, obviously. Mm-hmm. And the other day, my two-year-old peeled and chopped up the entire cucumber for me and handed Amazing. it to me. And I was like, she's not even three. And I was like, What? So not every kid is going to be doing that. I'm not like even boasting. I just thought it was fabulous because she took, she takes a lot of interest in prepping dinner 
And I'm like, oh my God, you were useful. And that's amazing. So anyway, I think that's something that if you're into like bringing your kids into the kitchen, that's, I'm adding to people's plates, right? Yeah. But um, no, I have a set of those too. And I highly recommend them. My kids do? love them and they're really good at like chopping up strawberries and those kinds of things. And yes. I think it's really fun. And also one of those useful ways to get kids involved in the kitchen, exactly what um, Melanie to talk talked to us about in our interview with her. I don't remember what episode it was, but I'll link to that. Yeah, you should. Yeah. So, um, very cool. Very cool. So let's talk about, um, the more useful in the next section, we're going to talk about other kitchen tools that are useful to have. And I want to hear about this because I sometimes want to get rid of these things because I don't <laughs> use them enough. But so, so there's a pretty short list here and I will I have a couple to add since what I told you, but the first is a blender. I think there's almost no way to substitute what a blender can do in your kitchen. And I actually don't think that everyone needs a blend tech or a Vitamix or the fancy high-end ones. I happen to have one and find it really useful because we do a lot of green smoothies and I puree soups and those kinds of things. And it has most definitely paid off over the years. I was just telling someone, I bought this blender when it cost as much as my half of the rent. Wow. And my husband was like, not my husband then, but you know, my boyfriend at the time was like, you spent what on a blender? And I'm like, it, I would do it all over again. Right. So I think if you're a smoothie sort of person, if you're someone who's going to take care of this and make it last a long time, we're 10 years in, it works fantastically. It's still amazing. And we use it I would say at least five times a week. So if you are not a blender person, then things like the Nutribullet or the Ninja or any of those kinds of things are totally passable. They will do what you need, which is like blend some things together, whether it be making your own cashew milk or blending a smoothie or blending up a soup, or I can't even think of other things. I'll like blend eggs and like I'll blend the wet ingredients for baking things that I'm making and just use it that way. And then just rinse out the tub and clean it. And I think that's a really easy way to mix things together, especially if your kids are trying to help you. So Mm. that's why I recommend a blender. The second one is maybe not something all of us need, but I do want to give a distinction. So the second item that I have in this list is a food processor. There are so many folks who are like, well, I have a blender. Do I really need a food processor? And the answer is maybe not. Maybe you aren't doing things that are required of a food processor. But the reality is, is that they have very different functions, even though they look the same and they both use a blade. So the things I use my food processor for are making pesto, making nut butter, uh, chopping up like large quantities of ingredients, shredding things like carrots. Um, you know, like, making, yeah. making like a, a thick sauce, kind of like pestos for any meal that I'm making. And the reason a food processor works differently is that like, if you picture the wide base that it has, it allows more space for blending. A blender is like more narrow usually at the bottom. And so things get like really mushed up before any other things hit the blade. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like a smoother process with the blender. Exactly. So like if I were trying to make like a chunky pesto in a blender, I've always had problems getting it not so pureed and liquidy before everything hits the blade. Like it it moves around differently. I I think nut butter is easier to make in the food processor too. Um, So that's the reason that I keep both of them. Mine is a Cuisinart, which is kind of the gold standard. And I bought it off Craigslist 10 years ago. 
So you don't need to invest a whole lot in these things, especially if you don't use them all the time. For some folks, a mini food processor will be plenty. So I would just think about this. But if any of those sound like things that you would do, chopping carrots and onions and like making a big batch of soup or making nut butter or making pesto or those kinds of things, then I would consider adding a food processor to your equipment list as well. And then a couple of the things I didn't put on here, and then I'm curious what your thoughts on all these things are, is you definitely need a couple baking sheets. Yes. And I like to have a cookie dry or a cookie cooling rack, not so Mm -hmm. much because I bake cookies all the time, but because it can sometimes be really useful in putting on top of a baking sheet and then allowing air to circulate if you're making like sweet potato fries or oven, oven fried chicken or those kinds of things. So it's really easy to buy those in a pack together, which is why I'm yeah. at the same time. And then I have probably three different sets of measuring utensils. So three different sets of each. So I have three different sets of uh, like tablespoon to teaspoon mm-hmm. measuring utensils. I have three different sets of quarter cup to one cup measuring scoops. Those are good for dry ingredients. And then I have two of those glass Pyrex liquid measuring ones. One is one cup and one is four cup. And that might seem excessive. And certainly you don't need three of each of those things, but I do recommend a small and large liquid measure, whether it's a Pyrex glass one or a plastic one, whatever that looks like for you. Um, the smaller one is obviously more precise for small quantities and the glass ones last forever. What's nice is also you can like throw some butter in them and put it in the microwave and melt it that way. So I like it for that. Those are for liquid, just to be clear, because I think that people get confused about this. They're like, why do I need both? The, The glass ones with a pouring handle, those are for liquid. They're much more accurate for that because you can't get the liquid to the top of say like a scoop That's why those are for dry and you like scrape them with your knife. And then those are very accurate for dry ingredients. So you need at least one set of those. And then the smaller ones are pretty self-explanatory. They're for things like herbs and spices and all of that. And I have multiple sets, mostly because it's not unlikely that a recipe will call for a couple different tablespoons of things. And I don't want to mix all my spices together, but also because my kids have a set that they like to use when they're helping. And that's a perfect thing for them to help with. So I have yeah. a colorful one and then a metal one of mine. And again, I'll link to those. I have a really cool, like, I have two different really cool nesting sets that I like a lot for space saving. Mm. We're going to have a lot of great links that I'm <laughs> definitely going to be studying. Yeah, I didn't mean this to be like a link heavy show, but I'll also put links to all of this on the checklist itself. So they yeah. can go give us your email address. You can download it and then you can get everything you need to just understand, you know, what what do I actually need in this kitchen from a practical perspective? Honest to God. And you know, I'll, I personally want to share this with my clients when we're going through the kitchen, like, okay, let's, let's look at this list and just pull it up because (laughs) it's honest to God. It's the truth. And you know, what's funny is the only gimmicky thing I have in the pots and pans is I have one of those perfect brownie maker things. Okay. And I I use it like a squiggle, right? So that you get all edges. No, it's not that one, okay, but it's, that one. it's probably like so outdated, but it's just like a cage. So it's like pre-cut. So you don't have to like cut them and ruin not them. It. Okay. It's like a cage insert where the bottom falls out. So you don't have to scrape them out. Like everything just comes right out of it. Like they all pop out of the squares. 
And I use that probably more than anything because I, I don't like it makes you happy. I can tell that it, it makes does. You happy. It, it brings me joy because I'm like this thick, amazing piece of brownie is the bomb diggity, or it's like cornbread that it doesn't get all like choppy. Cause I'm not the kind of person who's like, dee, 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 let's yeah. just cut this perfectly. I'm like, kids, Toss it, pop them out of here, and let's get out of here. (laughs) So you're reminding me that I didn't list things like muffin tins and pie pans and pans. And the reason I didn't list all those is you probably know if you need them if you're the type of person who makes those things. And most of I like a silicone muffin pan. It's not great for baking, but it's really good for making like baked egg cups and those kinds of things and popping them out. So that certainly takes up space in my kitchen. And then I have a like nine by 12 Pyrex dish. Think of it as your, like your mom's casserole dish. I think everyone right. makes some sort of casserole dish. Right. It doesn't matter what way you eat, casserole is on the menu, right? If you're no, not I agree. Dress. So some sort of casserole dish would be one of the other things that I would add to that kitchen tools that awesome. are useful. All right. Well, we're kind of talking about this right now, but let's talk about things that you don't, don't necessarily need, but you might want next, yeah. which I just told you mine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So these are things, some of these I have and some of them I don't. So I'll just go down the list. The first is a stand mixer. If you are a big baker, then you probably do need one of these. If you are not a big baker, then you could most definitely get away with some bowls, something else you should have, mixing bowls and one of those like handheld beaters, which are really easy to use. And if you're really not a baker, then you can get away with a whisk and a set of bowls to mix things together. I am not a big baker, but I have a stand mixer because I got one years ago. And now it seems like I should just keep it because I have it. So (laughs) this is one of those, like I use it maybe twice a year. It probably isn't a good use of space, but because I have the space, it does have a spot in our kitchen. No, I get it. If I had one, I think they're pretty. I would totally have it like out. Like, look at me. I... I do things with that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm big on not taking up counter space. So mine doesn't even live on the counter and it's like white and it's gotten dented. So uh, okay. Not as okay. But fair enough. can be useful. And you probably know if you're the type of person it's useful for, I will say for most of us, we probably don't need it. Um, the next one is an immersion blender. This is one that I see pop up on recipes time to time for things like making mayonnaise or pureeing soups. I don't have an immersion blender. And the reason for that is because my blender is really powerful and it seems not useful enough to me to take up the space. That said, if you are making mayonnaise regularly or if you like to make a big pot of soup and then puree some of it, it is really, it really makes life easier and it doesn't take up that much space. Emily's raising her hand. Um, So this is one of those like nice to have, but definitely not need to have. If you have a good blender and neither of those things are things you do often, then this is one that I would skip. What do you think? Um, I'm raising my hand because we, we actually broke many bullets and our ninja because we do bulletproof coffee every morning Mm -hmm. and we just annihilate things. So we finally succumbed to the simplicity of an immersion blender and we use that supper every morning both for blending the bulletproof coffee and um, for it has an attachment for like a whisk. So mm-hmm. it, it then we make our eggs with it. And I mean, the thing sits on our counter because I'm like, this thing is amazing. It was only 30 bucks. And so I'm a huge, I'm a huge proponent for that for someone who's doing that to their coffee every day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like, that makes a lot of sense. I do. I went the couple of times I've done bulletproof coffee. I like get annoyed that I have to dirty my whole blender. 
Exactly. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not cleaning a blender. I'll, I'll slice my fingers off trying to get out the door with the kids, you know? Yes. I can definitely see how that's useful. The next one I have on my list is something I have, but you definitely don't need to have, which is an ice cream maker. And it's so funny because I asked my son, what is your favorite uh, piece of kitchen equipment we have? And he's like, I love our ice cream maker. We should make some ice cream. I love making ice cream. We got one from our in-laws that they didn't want to store in their kitchen anymore. And we love it because it's one of those auto ones that you don't even have to like freeze the base of before. Mm. I will say if you are the type who's like maybe on a special diet, so you can't eat dairy ice cream or you're keto and you're making keto ice cream or you just love homemade ice cream, there's really no substitute for it. There's no way to make ice cream at home without an ice cream maker. So this is one of those where I'm like, if you are the type who honestly is going to make ice cream, then it is a really useful tool. And there are varying levels of like what you can pay and also varying sizes of what you can store to have it. But 90 five, that's my number for tonight. 95% of people definitely don't need one. And you're probably just going to end up storing it. And then you're going to end up selling it on Craigslist, which is a great place to buy one. If you think you're the type of person who wants it. Yes. I, I too have one. We in-laws bought it for us brand new and I really like it. And I, I use it much more in the summer. Um, but it does kind of sit with my processor, my food processor, which only gets used usually around Christmas. So it's kind of funny at that in my like round baking tins, which I've never used, but I'm like, what if I need to make an emergency birthday cake? I, I don't know. I don't know. But us two special diets. So I'm always like, I need to have these things in case I need to make something from scratch. So agreed. I love the ice cream maker as well. Yeah. And the final thing that I just wanted to touch on is I am a bit of a purist around single use kitchen items. So you notice earlier, I said things like peeler and microplane, and I gave a lot of examples of how you can use those things. Mm. I am not into strawberry holers or cherry pitters or avocado pitters or pineapple slicers, or even I could get behind an apple slicer just because my kids eat apples so often. This is one of those no judgment. If you have one of those utensils and you absolutely love it, then you should definitely keep it. But I would just caution folks who are like, I'm going to buy all of these things because it's the only way to do that. Like it is most definitely not the only way to do that. And the things Mm. I've listed before, a knife, a cutting board, a peeler, a microplane, kitchen shears is really all you need to get any of those things cut or pitted or hold or any of that. And for the amount that it happens in my house, it just really doesn't take that much more time. True. True. Now, one thing, it's not single use, but one thing I do love is I have an over the sink strainer that I use almost all the time that like sits, that can sit over my sink and I can strain the kids' pasta and all those kinds of things or I'll rinse my fruits and vegetables in it. And I don't want to forget that because I do think that's a really useful tool that folks should definitely make sure they have on hand, especially with little kids. Like even if you're making macaroni and cheese or whatever it is you're making, it makes it a lot easier than trying to find a spot and then it not tipping over and all those things. So that's, that's on my, like, this makes your life easier. You should just go ahead and buy one list of things. Yeah. It's clear that there are certain things that are more on the on the plane of like if you're rushing around because your schedule or your kids, these are sort of the things that are going to like arm you with a better and smoother process. But if you're just on a tight budget and you've got the time to sit and chop, this is all you need, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I like that you hit both of those tools, right? Or if you're like, if you have a kid who's an avocado fiend and it makes your life easier, then more power to you. I just, I'm also 
of the sort that like will never find the thing that I need if it's only single use and I don't use it that often. And then it's just wasted space. So that's my No, opinion. I understand. I'm always like re-looking at my kitchen. Like, are we using this? Are we ever going to use this again? <laughs> I'm so like strict. But. I think I think that's the perfect place to end too is for me, kitchen equipment is a lot like what people talk about with their clothing, which is if you haven't used it in the last few months, but certainly in the last year, like Emily, you were saying some of these things you only use at the holidays. Like, okay, if you have space to store them, then that's cool. But if you didn't even use them last holiday season, then I Mm. think that's the perfect way to just give yourself a marking point to say like, maybe this doesn't need to be taking up space. And what could I do with this space that just makes life better, easier? I mean, I love storing a variety of cookie cutters because it makes my kids have fun with their food, right? So I would rather make space for those than an avocado pitter for my money and time and space. No, that makes sense. Your priority might might look different to you, but I love the idea of what you shared, which is like always just looking through and saying like, am I using this actively? Have I used it recently? Have I used it in the last year? And if none of those answers are yes, then make space for something else that makes you happier and is more useful and makes your life easier. And it doesn't just have to be kitchen stuff because Lord knows we could all use a little bit more space and that the kitchen doesn't just have to be for kitchen stuff, right? You could store anything you want there. So make space. That's for a good point. That's a good point. And in my dining room, I, I store some of the stuff I never use in my kitchen, but I don't want to let go of. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I'll just send one tip, which I love, which is, um, say you think you might be ready to get rid of something, but you're just not quite ready to let go of it. It's of course, okay to store it in a tub with other items that are also on your list of like, I think I'm going to get rid of it, but I'm not quite ready to let go. And you label it that, and then you let maybe six months to a year go by. And when you find that tub again, if you're like, Oh, I haven't used anything in there it goes and you don't reopen it because then you reattach. Mm. You don't look at it. You put everything in it that you were like pretty sure you were going to let go of, but you give yourself six months, two months, one month, a year, whatever it is you think is reasonable. And then when you look at that bin one day, you're going to go, oh my God, this labeled, it says things I was about to get rid of. (laughs) And then you just, it goes because if you do open it, you'll start going, well, I don't know. (laughs) Like, maybe someday. And so I think that's a good tip because it happens to all of us, you know? Yeah. I love that. I'm actually doing that with a box of clothing in my closet right now. So I think that that's a tip I sort of intuitively knew, but what a great idea to do it for other things in your house, including all the things we've listed in our kitchen. So if you are ready to go through your kitchen to understand what the essential kitchen equipment is and overlay that with the things that are really useful and joyous for you, then we have that download for you at averyfullplate.com slash 50. I hope that these tips have been helpful to you today. I'm sure there are things that we forgot in the kitchen. We didn't specifically talk about mixing bowls and stuff, but I think some of those are so obvious. And I actually think for most of us, our kitchens are more complicated than they need to be. And so Mm. I hope that this will provide a little bit more of that like focused explanation around each of these things so that you can take a look at your kitchen and say like, oh, maybe I actually don't need this thing just because I think in my head that I need it. Absolutely. And from an organizing perspective, at least, at least take these things forefront 
and make them like in the, in your high rent real estate area of the kitchen, Mm -hmm. you know, make them, make them accessible to you, easy to grab that you use all the time and are most useful. Otherwise you, you know, you're not helping yourself in the kitchen. So I think these were fabulous tips. I think you were on point with all of them clearly. So I'm really grateful for your time and your expertise and for your, you're really well organized with your tips. Well, thank you so much. Next Mm -hmm. week, we're going to be speaking with Katie Fleming, who is talking to us about decluttering your mind. So we're going to take this a little bit further. We've talked about your house. Now we're talking about your kitchen. Next week, we're going to talk about decluttering your mind and some tips that you can use to get things out of your head onto paper so that you have more time and energy and creativity for the things that really matter to you. So I hope you guys will join us next week. We're here every Tuesday as always, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening.